This is week number four in our series, The Genius of Generous Living. Week number one, we looked at Philippians chapter two, verses five to eight, and we saw the reason for followers of Jesus to be moved and get on the road to generosity is because the greatest of all givers is who? Tell me. Okay, six of you know. I'll give you another run at that. The greatest of all givers, and he keeps on giving today, is who? Jesus Christ, right. So he's the reason the second person of the Trinity willingly left the glory and splendor of heaven to put on a human body. And Jesus knew that his ultimate destination was going to be the cross, where Jesus would take on all of my sin, heavy burden, all of your sin, heavy burden, Then he would take our place in the grave, and early on Sunday morning, he would arise from the dead for you and for me. Um, Our motivation for being generous givers, our reason for working at becoming a generous people is Jesus Christ. So that needs to be the foundation upon which this series is built. He, He gives lavishly to us in salvation and sanctification, and in we know the best is yet to come. Two weeks ago, we were uh, looking at uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. We looked at a poor widow, and uh, Jesus saw her giving her last two pennies, her last two mites. She gave all that she had to the Lord and his temple. Jesus wants us to learn to be generous like that widow was. That's the reason for this example. He said, see that? That woman is a great example to follow. She's given more than anybody else. I got uh, permission to share this. That Sunday, a couple weeks ago, uh, when we were looking at uh, the the widow who gave her last two mites, uh, there was someone here, a, a a man, this was uh, just the second Sunday he had been here, and he said, as the offering went by, before we even talked about the widow's might, he looked in his wallet, and he had two $1 bills, and he said, really, Lord, you're going to ask me to put those in? And he felt like the Lord said, yep, put, put your last two $1 bills in. He said, okay, here we go. He says, and then when you opened up to Mark chapter 12 and talked about the widow putting in her last two pennies, he says, I felt like the Lord said, yep, see, you listened, and I heard you right. Anyway, uh, nothing in his wallet, literally nothing. And he says, on Monday, uh, I had several talks with the Lord about uh, having nothing in my wallet, and hey, do you remember I put in my last two dollars? and uh, then Tuesday comes along, and I go out to the mail, and there was a letter that I've been waiting on since 2012, six years ago. He says in the mail was a check, a, a claim check from the VA that's been six years that I've been saying, really, are you ever going to pay up on that? And on Tuesday morning, The Lord came through and he said, well, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I think I did hear you and thank you for blessing. And I just wanted to share. That's a pretty amazing story how the Lord works. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. 
Jesus gets the credit because he, he timed that up. Uh, last week we looked uh, it from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Jesus urges us there not to store up our treasures on earth. Instead, he says, I've got a better plan. I want you to store up your treasure in the bank of Jesus. Uh, I, I've got this amazing bank, and I want you to bank with me the first bank of Jesus Christ. Jesus instructs us there, Matthew 6, 21, for where our treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart follows. Where your money goes, your heart flows. Where, where your money goes, your heart just naturally follows our treasure. Summary verse last week, Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You got to pick. <laughs> you're either serving at any given time, you're either serving God or you're serving your money and your stuff and your treasure. Nobody can serve two masters. We said Jesus doesn't really want or need our stuff. Do you understand that? He's the creator. Jesus is the sustainer of everything. He does, he's not broke, but he knows because he created us in our mother's wombs until Jesus has our treasure, he doesn't really have our hearts. Did you catch that? Until Jesus has our treasure first, he doesn't really have our hearts because that's how we're wired. Please take your phone. Take your Bible, locate with me 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with me if you would. We're going to examine a universal principle we must know. And we need to know more than know it. We need to live it and own it. And, and I've been praying, Lord, tattoo it, emblaze it, download it on our brains today. Would you stand with me if you're able? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start with verse 6. We'll read down through the end of the chapter, verse 15. Ready to read? You know why we stand? Because this is God's book, right? And uh, we stand in honor of God giving us his book, and now we're going to read it out loud, and we're going to remind each other, this is the truth by which we live. Read with me. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity 
in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Lord, you've uh, given us a light, a spotlight, uh, a lamp, a flashlight to live by. And thank you for the gift of your book. Seems like the world we live in, it's just getting darker. And we need your lamp, the lamp of your word now more than ever. So Lord, would you uh, shine the lamp, the light of 2 Corinthians 9 strong on each and every one of our hearts and minds right now? Guide us as we dig into your book, the letter that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write to a church back in ancient times, the church at Corinth. But Lord, I think uh, you also wrote this book for the church at Walloom. Lord, I'm praying, and I've been praying all week, that this universal principle that you laid out so clearly here would be something that all of us would grab a hold of. It's easy to know something, but not actually live it out. So would you go beyond just knowing what it says and what it means, but Lord, would you give us the courage and the strength, the want to, to actually put it into practice. That's what we're asking for. Every Sunday, Lord, we invite you and your spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to come and be welcomed right now in your church. So we do that one more time. Would you meet us? We yield, we surrender our lives, our minds, our hearts, our wills to you. Rushing wind blow through this temple. Yeah. Blow out the dust within. Come and meet us today. We're ready to hear and respond to you. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one strong voice, you can be seated. Before we dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'd like to answer a question that I've been asked multiple times. And uh, heard uh, from sm small group leaders that this is the question on lots of folks in small groups. Uh, so I've been asked it, small group leaders are being asked, and, and here's the question, why in this series have you been mostly talking about treasure when giving involves more than just treasure, it involves time and talent too, right? So why you've been focusing almost exclusively on treasure, why not so much on time and talent? Uh, my response, you ready, is uh, we talk a lot about getting in the game. We talk a lot here at Walloon. In most series, we're mentioning uh, challenging you to step up and come on down in the field and use your time and your spiritual gifts and your talents to be used in the church and in the kingdom of Christ. And uh, 
I, I just need you to know we are blessed in that area. Somewhere between four and 500 of you, if you count the East Jordan location, are using your time and your talents in some way. So I, I think we just need to acknowledge, first of all, wow, uh, most of you are using your time and your talents in some way in the church and for the kingdom and how blessed are we. So let's just pause and give praise to Jesus because that percentage is huge and we are blessed and we just say, Lord, thanks. Thank you for that. I commend, I commend you, well done. However, not very often we focused specifically on our treasure. And this series, Being Generous, is mostly talking about being generous with our money and our treasure. That is the bullseye. There is application to time and talent, but the truth is mostly we're talking about giving of our treasure. Now, pull your toes in because I may step on somebody. Uh, according to the best pollsters that I trust would be George Barna, the Gallup organization. Uh, they tend to say pretty much the same thing in churches like ours, evangelical, biblically focused churches, on average, between 2 and 4% of us here today are giving a tenth or a tithe. Uh, so that means that even if we're exceptional, let, let's say, and, and by the way, I think we are exceptional here. I'm biased, I get it. But let's say we're exceptional and, and we have 5% of us, or let's, let's triple it and say we've got 10% of us, that means that 90 or 95% of us, we still haven't even arrived yet at the tithe. And you say, what, what's the big deal about that? I could take an hour now, but I'm just telling you, everywhere where there's a standard in the Old Testament, the New Testament raises the standard. You understand? Uh, Old Testament Thou shalt not kill. New Testament raises the standard. Don't kill anybody with your words. Old Testament, don't have sex outside of marriage. No adultery. New Testament, you remember what Jesus says? Raises the standard. <laughs> no, no, no adultery in your mind. Don't even be thinking those kind of thoughts in your brain. I'm just telling you, New Testament, the standard is always higher so I, I would argue anywhere you go in Scripture, you're going to see a higher standard for followers of Jesus than in the old section of God's book. That that's, means when it comes to giving, my opinion, okay, and I, I could make a strong case, and, and I think most would agree, starts at 10%. That's the standard. That's the expectation, and it goes up in the New Testament. Okay, But, but if you just want to be an Old Testament giver, that's fine. Start with 10%. Okay, So... Having said that, 95% of us, or 90% of us, the truth is, we just as soon talk about time and talent. Why? Because <laughs> we're not doing so good when it comes to the treasure part. That, that's the truth. Uh, D.L. Moody said it this way, founder of Moody Bible Institute, Moody Church, named after him. It said, the last thing, he said, the last thing to get saved in a man is his wallet. And I found that to be true in my own life. So I understand about 90, 95% of us are going to feel 
some stepping on the toes today um, because giving generously of our money, our treasure, for most of us, we're still in process. <laughs> for most of us here today, this is still not an area of strength. It's, for most of us, an area of weakness. So I'm praying, you can pray for me, pray, Lord, help me to be extra kind and gentle because typically that's not my strength, right? Amen? Uh, but pray that I don't mash on toes any more than you would have our toes stepped on today. Okay? There's the answer to that question, probably more than you wanted. Back in the text, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 today. Verse 6 is the key verse. We're going to camp on this. We're going to focus on this. We're going to beat this one up strong, Okay? God's universal law of life, it's in effect for all people throughout history on planet Earth. So this law applies to every country, every continent, down through history. All people, this law is in effect. Ready? Say it with me. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is true in agriculture with farmers. This is true in marriages between husbands and wives. This is true in business and how you invest. This is true in giving in church for followers of Jesus. This law this universal principle, I think, is simple enough that even 10-year-olds can comprehend this. This is not a difficult law to understand and comprehend. Uh, but before I give you example after example of this principle in action, I just want to show you that the Apostle Paul was inspired to write it down, not just here, but to the churches in Galatia. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Want to break that down a little bit? Don't deceive yourself. We think we're the exception to the rule. No, we're not. No one is. You can't mock God. This is his law. Whatever you sow, you reap. Whatever you put into the ground, that's what you're going to harvest. 35 years being a pastor, a shepherd, this might be the most frustrating thing that I have dealt with over and over again. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I believe the Bible. Yes, I believe it applies to me. And now they're standing in front of you and they don't understand why this area of their life has fallen apart. And you talk to them and, and you say, what, what did you sow? What did you sow? And yet they're shocked that they're reaping trouble and difficulty and, and problems and stress and worry. They, they don't understand. They've sown lousy seed or no seed in an area of weakness but they think they're still going to reap this wonderful harvest, this great reward. I'm telling you, it's easy to be deceived here. Ready for some examples? Here we go. I'm the farmer. And, you know, last year didn't get that great a harvest. 
I wasn't really that excited about what I was able to uh, get as the yield from the crop. So this year, I got a plan. I'm not going to put any seed in the ground this year. It's expensive. It's hard work. Uh, could be some bad weather. So instead of putting seed in the ground, I'm just going to let my land sit still all by itself. But I still believe I'm going to have a great harvest come the fall. What would you tell the farmer with that plan? What, what would you have to say to the farmer who decides this year I'm not putting any seed in the ground? Uh, we'd probably look at some version of wake up, big boy, wake up. No seed, no what? No crop, no harvest. You, you not understand this, Mr. Farmer. If you don't put any seed in the ground, you should not expect anything to be harvested come this fall. Why? You reap what you, say it with me, you reap what you sow. I'm the student, high school, college, you can take your pick. I skip half my classes because <laughs> I think I can get away with it. I'm pretty sure I don't need to study. I don't need to read the book. I, I, don't, I don't need to pay attention in class because I got some really fun games on my phone. Uh, I, I never need to crack the book, but I still believe that I'm going to reap good grades come the end of the semester. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be just fine come the end of this semester, even though I'm not studying, I'm not going to school half the time, I'm not paying attention, I'm not reading. Uh, what counsel do you have for this student? Think about it. What would you, what would you tell this student? You can tell me. Yeah, uh, uh, no dean's list for you, uh, no honor roll for you, uh, I've got words for you, you are in great danger, you may flunk out. It's going to be a rude awakening, student. Uh, I'm the worker on the job. I'm unmotivated, I do the very least amount of work possible. You know, whatever the bare minimum is, uh, I complain and whine every opportunity. I'm negative about the job everywhere I go, and yet I'm still convinced that I deserve a raise. I'm convinced that I should get the next promotion. And what would you say to that kind of worker? If I were your boss, I'd fire you. You're, you're fortunate if you don't lose your job. <laughs> Why is that? Because what you is what you, yeah, what, what, I, what I'm going to harvest is all about what I put in it. I'm a spender, and uh, I don't like budgets. I find them restricting. I find budgets confining. So I like to spend freely and frequently, and, and Mr. Visa and Mr. MasterCard, they make that very possible for me. Uh, and... Uh, I'm convinced that even though I spend freely and whatever I feel like it, don't really take much track or I don't, I don't take into account what's going on in my financial life, I'm still convinced that my finances are going to be just fine. I'm going to work it out in the end. And, and I believe that I'm going to be out of debt and I'm convinced that my, my account will be full of savings. Thoughts for the spender? Balcony, anybody? What would you say to the spender uh, who's convinced that I'm going to be just fine? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
You're, you're, you're sowing a mountain of debt, a mountain of headache and stress and heartache. Okay, if I haven't stepped on you yet, we continue. I'm the eater who continuously feasts on donuts and whoppers and onion rings and ice cream, but I'm still convinced I'm going to stay slim and healthy. I don't need to exercise. I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and I'm going to be just fine. And your thoughts for this eater? <laughs> You're going to reap tight clothes. <laughs> You're going to reap elevated cholesterol. You're going to reap poor health. You're not in for good things. Why? Tell me why. You reap what you sow. We all reap what we sow. I'm a Christian who lives life in the fast lane. I'm just too busy. I'm way too busy to spend 30 minutes a day talking with Jesus and feasting on his word, the Bible. I just don't have time. Too busy. And, and I'm too tired. But I'm still convinced that I'm going to be a growing Christian and I'm going to look more and more like Jesus and my relationship with Jesus is going to be just fine. And you would say to this Christian, <laughs> you would say to this, this follower of Jesus, don't have time to talk to the Lord, I don't have time for the book, but boy, I'm going to keep on growing and it's going to be just fine. I, I'm going to be a really strong, shining, bright Christian and our response is, no, you're going to drift, right, Rachel? You're going to grow lukewarm. It's not going a good direction. Why? Okay. Give you another run at that. Why is it that's not a good plan? Because you... Give you a couple more, because I know you'd like more. I'm the husband or the wife who rarely takes time to enjoy my spouse. We rarely talk. We rarely date. We don't do hardly anything together, but we're still going to have a great marriage. <laughs> we don't have to work at it. We'll still be good. We'll still be great. And you'd say to this husband or this wife, really? Do you, do you really believe that? Do, do you really believe? And, and even if you do believe it, are, are you saying that you're okay with just being okay? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and in my mind, I don't make that much money. And I just don't have money to give much to Jesus and his church and his kingdom. Just, just don't have it. Sorry, I would if I, if I made more, but I just don't. But I'm pretty sure that even though I, I don't so much into Jesus and his kingdom, I'm pretty sure he's still going to bless me generously, and my finances are going to be wonderful. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, put it back up there, Dan. Remember this, remember this, say it with me. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And you and I are not the exceptions to God's law. You can't mock God on this. It's his law. <laughs> God's universal law applies to my life it applies to your life, it applies to our children, it applies to our grandchildren, it applies to our friends, it applies to our fellow students, it applies to your neighbors. You could just keep going, it applies to everybody. 
Everybody you know, this law is in effect. And whatever area we're cheating and not putting much into, <laughs> that's the harvest we should plan on. That, that's, that's the crop that we should expect to harvest. Does that make sense? Whatever we put into it, that's what we should expect in response. In context, understand, go back to the text, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's trying to encourage and urge them to be generous givers. The word generosity is all over this section, if you caught that when we were reading. He's encouraging them, church at Corinth, church at Walloon, I want you to be generous givers. Verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you to be grumpy and mean when you're giving. He wants you to get to the point where you enjoy giving. There are churches, there are denominations, there are cults where someone will come from leadership from the church and they will look over your pay stub and they will assign you what you are expected to give. Personally, that would be my last Sunday at that church, but that is the way some places work, and maybe you've been to some of those places. Um, here's what verse 7 says very clearly. No, 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 no. Understand what God's book says. Uh, allow the teaching of God's word to touch your heart, and then you choose between you and Jesus to give, not under some pressure or some pushing from a church official who's examining what they think you should be giving. Here's what I discovered a long time ago. I was 10 years a youth pastor. We had lots and lots of car washes. First few car washes, $5 a car wash. Any guesses what everybody gave? If you put up $5, everyone gave $5. That's the law. But if you put car wash by donation, I'm telling you, that is the magic word right there. Donation We'd get 20s. I remember getting 50s. I remember we got 100 or two from people. Why is that? Because you're appealing to their generous hearts. You're not saying, this is what we expect. This is what we demand. You're saying, give whatever. And I'm just telling you, it just unleashes that generous spirit, not under compulsion, generous to flow. Verse 8, continue on, powerful promise. Um, this is really good. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Did you notice all the alls? Look again up here, okay? All grace, in all things, at all times, all that you need. Now here's the promise. This one might be worth writing down. God promises to abundantly bless our generous giving. He says, when, when you do it my way, when you start giving generously and, and sowing generously, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless that. I'm going to abundantly, with all grace, in all things, at all times, make sure you got all that you need. That's an abundant promise as we give generously to Jesus and his kingdom. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
Give me your eyes. Follow this. Every good gift you and I will ever, ever enjoy is a gift from God. Got that? Okay. That's in James, James chapter 1. And now, as I take the good gifts that Jesus brings and I generously give back to Jesus, are you tracking? He says, then I will bless you back with a generous harvest. So I gave it to you, and now you give generously back to me, and then I will bless your generosity back. Do you understand the process, how it works? So we, verse 11, get even, can be even more generous, and everywhere I go, I can show generosity. Why? Because he blesses me, I give generously, he keeps on blessing, and now the result is, look at the end of verse 11, God is thanked and praised. The, the way this ends out is Jesus is glorified because he blessed us and we trusted him and we gave generously and then he blessed us back with even more generosity and now we can bless others and people are saying, what's going on there? Everywhere you go, God's generosity is felt and experienced and look out, Verse 15, slide down to the end. Look how Paul closes out this section. Chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Kind of goes back to why we should be generous. Back to the motivation. Why should I get on this program? Why should I be interested in living a generous life? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift the, the indescribable gift of Jesus taking on our sin on the cross. Jesus taking our place in the grave. Jesus arising from the dead. That's the indescribable gift of God. It's Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23. Here's what it says. Here's the gift we've been given. Here's why we must get on the road to becoming generous givers. Want to say it with me? For the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why should we get on the road to generosity? Why should I learn to be a generous giver? Why is that important? Look at it. Because Jesus has blessed us with eternal life. We've got all the blessings available that he showers down on us and as we give back to him, he just keeps pouring back generously the blessings back on us. And as we give back even in more generous ways, more and more people honor and glorify and praise our God. It's pretty cool how he set up the system. Close with this true story. I had an uncle... He's actually with the Lord now. But we uh, always talked about going to Disney World. This was back in the day when it first opened. And he always laughed at us. Yeah, why would you want to go there? That sounds like the worst place on earth. But we poured it on, and his kids always wanted to go. And eventually, they were in Florida, and his kids, and we were urging him on, come on, uncle, go, go, go. Uh, so he paid the money, and he went in, 
And anyway, he gets back home, and we're all excited to talk to Uncle. How did it go? How, what did you think? And he said, that, that was awful. I hated. They charged me a bunch of money, and I walked in, and all they did was have a bunch of shops, and they wanted to sell me stuff, so we just left. True story. True story. And we said, well, what about the pirates? What about the small world? What about the space mountain? He says, I don't know what you're talking about. All I saw was this, this little main street, uh, and they were just trying to you know, sell me fudge and sell me uh, all, all the, the trinkets, and, and we just, I just said, we're out of here. Do you, do you understand what happened? you understand? He, he went in, paid the money. He never got beyond main street. He, he never got what I would say to the good stuff. Please understand my heart. There's so much more out there. For those of you who aren't on the road to generosity yet, you're, you're kind of stuck on Main Street. And, and I'm just telling you, there's really good stuff out there if you'll choose to get on the road to generosity. You're, you're missing out on what I would argue is, is some of the most enjoyable and fun stuff to be a follower of Jesus. When you get on this road and you start doing and obeying the universal principle of life that God's given us all regarding our treasure, I promise you, you won't regret it. It's good stuff. There, get beyond Main Street. There, there's some really fun and enjoyable things when you do it God's way. What would it take for you to get off of Main Street? What changes would you have to make for you to get on the road to generosity? What adjustments might you need to make in order to become a generous giver? Bow your heads. Shut your eyes as we close. Lord, uh, we thank you again for the power and the clarity of your book. It's alive, it's practical, it speaks loudly and clearly. So, would you speak as we quiet our hearts and our minds for a moment? Would you speak specifically regarding our current state of generosity or lack thereof? We're listening. So what would it take for you to leave Main Street? For you to get on the road to generosity? What would it take? What needs to change? What adjustments might need to happen? Anyone say, Lord, you're talking to me right now? You're speaking to me right now where I'm at? And Lord, if there are changes and adjustments that are needed, I'm open to hearing.
ready to get off Main Street. I, I'm ready to get on that road that you're talking about, to generosity. I'm not going to ignore your universal law anymore. I'm ready to line up my life with your book. Lord, speak loudly and clearly. The motivation to give generously flows from the indescribable gift of Jesus. He took your place on the cross. He took your place in the grave early Sunday morning. Jesus literally, bodily, physically arose from the dead for you. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God Almighty. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. Have you accepted the gift of God in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord? So we close, anybody say, you know what? I, I don't know if I've ever accepted that gift or not. Or, or maybe you'd say, I'm pretty sure I haven't. And I need to accept that amazing gift you're talking about today. Anybody just slip up your hand and say, I, I need to accept that gift. Not done that, or I'm pretty sure I have it. Lord, thank you for working and speaking and loving and encouraging us. And Lord, you are so patient and kind. Work powerfully, even in this week ahead. Use us. May Jesus shine real bright. It's in Jesus' name we pray.